Good afternoon, ladies. Okay, I'm looking to see if my husband is anywhere around. He was peeking? Okay, well, I have had several requests to meet the man of my world. So I would be happy to introduce my husband, love of my life, pastor of my church, Brian Gower. Come forward. Hi, ladies. And let me just say, if you've enjoyed Judy this weekend, you should come to our church, because she writes all my messages. You do. She gives them much better than I do, but she writes them. But listen, I got to go. Did I tell you I'm not feeling well today? No. Really? You had to do dishes? Well, no, I did dishes, but before then, I, feel, I just feel like I've been thrown under the bus three or four times today. <laughs> What's Keith been doing to you? <laughs> Did you enjoy your lunch today? Yeah. I need to let you know. I can't take all the credit. But they did trust me putting that little green thing on your chicken. So I trust you enjoy it. Did you wash your hands first? <laughs> Thank you. You should have seen him when he had hair. <laughs> it just comes out. <laughs> He's good. He really is good. Okay, I think I can show you my family. Ta da! Okay, that's my family. <laughs> okay. There we are. We're in the Philippines. That's Pastor Willie, and that's me with my curly hair. And it was a different color. <laughs> but that really is me. And uh, next, please. This is our oldest son, Jamie, and his wife, uh, Shannon. They live in Omaha, Nebraska. And their little one is Caden. He's now two. And Michaela is the little one. She's newborn there, but she's about seven months old. She's the one Brian calls the M&M with legs. <laughs> okay, next. This is our daughter, Heather, and her husband, Joshua. We, we got him at one of the ministries that we were at. The difficult ministry we were at, we found him. So it was worth every agonizing moment. <clears throat> and then they have four children. The oldest is Jesse. He's ten. He's taller than his mother. He, weigh, he wears an 11 and a half shoe, and he's 10. He's a big boy. And then um, Olivia is 8. She's my Skype buddy. And then they have Bella, Isabella is 2, and Jedediah is 4 months old. Next is Jeremy. He's the one that was at the, you know, wore the cowboy boots and had a runny nose most of his life. Cleans up good, though. That's his wife, Candace, who's just as crazy as he is. And that little precious one is Addison. She's a year and a half old, and I just heard her say Nana two days ago. So it's on Facebook if you want to be my friend. On Facebook, you can see it because it's really worth it. She says Papa, too, which was really cool. Next is Heidi. 
And Heidi is our youngest. She's at home. She's 26. She's engaged to this handsome, tall, dark, and handsome man. He's uh, from Uganda. And we're just praying that he gets his visa so that she and him can become man and wife. And then they will go back to the mission field in Uganda. So you can pray for that if you ever think of it. Brian says now all our pictures will be in black and white. So. <laughs> Ta-da! That's my family. So it's been a great weekend, ladies. I'm so blessed. Is Brian behind me? Because <laughs> believe me, he could throw me under the bus several times if he wanted to. But It's been a pleasure to be here. I am I'm humbled and honored at this. <laughs> this is my better side. <laughs> She's been given directions by my husband to get a picture of me speaking, and the one she has is horrible. So that'll be on Facebook, too. But It's been an honor and a privilege to be here. I was humbled when Beth asked me. I just feel very unqualified to do this. And yet, it's God that does it. It's not me. Um, I'm hopefully his vessel that he uses to get the word out. And I... I beseech you, as I said earlier, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, let this be the day that you meet the best thing that ever happened to you, a guaranteed home in heaven. He died on the cross, as you've heard the music so beautifully illustrated and wonderfully sung. He gave everything he had for us. And I'm told if I was the only one on earth, he would have done it for me. So he is well worth having. Life will be different. So I encourage you to seek him out. And if you don't know him, I would be blessed. I'd bless my socks off. If you'd let, I don't have socks on either, but if you would let me lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ, or Beth, or the musicians, or anybody here on staff, the girls who are in students, I mean, we're just all here to, that's our whole goal in life. So what makes you tick? I've skipped several pages. They're really good, too. I feel really bad, but I can't read that fast. What makes you tick? Have you ever stopped to figure out what it is inside you that motivates you and keeps you going in the days when you don't feel like going? Why do you do what you do? <laughs> if you're a mom, you change diapers because they're dirty, right? <laughs> You do dishes because they're there. There have been days that I folded laundry and did dishes and scrubbed the floor and all that because it had to be done, not because I felt like that was my greatest goal in life, but that's what you do. What do you hope to gain in your life? You know, I was thinking as I heard, and it was beautiful to hear everybody praying, and all those offerings of prayer go up to our Father. It's like, wow, what a powerhouse in this room. If every one of you goes home individually and makes a determination to change your life, change your world on the inside out, we'd have a revolution going on. Our families would be different. Our spouses would be different. Our churches would be different. The employment place where you work would be different. If you lived Jesus Christ. That's my challenge for you today. What do you hope to gain? What would you, your reaction be if everything you had was taken away? You know, sometimes we take a lot for granted. I take for granted that I wake up every morning and I'm able to get around because there's a lot of people that can't. 
that I'm able to do my life very freely. A lot of people don't live in freedom. We just came back from the Philippines, and we have some very dear friends there, John and Don Fogel. He's been a missionary there for 35 years. He's 61 years old, and he's been diagnosed with cancer, and he probably has a year or less to live. He has seven children. Two are still home. One's 13, and one is 16. And his life is forever different. And yet, when he flew home from the Philippines for treatment, he's been witnessing to the doctors, the specialists, the nurses. He's had people all over the world praying for his medical team. I don't know if God's going to let him live or not. But I'm amazed at how he's responded. His whole family. He's got a young daughter in the Philippines that's a missionary, and she's taking care of the two younger ones until they fly back to get him, pack up everything they've ever had, never done, and never been, and fly back to the United States and wait for his treatment. He's witnessed to his doctor, his oncologist, the nurses. I, I'm just like, God, would I do that? Or would I just be crumbled and crushed from inside out because my life is over? Amazing to me. The nurse who's taken his blood said, okay, I just need to confirm your birthday. And he goes, which one? I have two. She said, I have two, too. And the doctor, he said, I'm praying for you, doctor. I'm praying that you get to know the God I love. Wow. The doctor asked him questions about it. Now, if you've just been given a diagnosis that we can give you treatment, but I'm not sure you're going to make it a year, what would you be thinking? Would you be thinking, I've got to get this guy saved? Or would you be thinking, I've got to get things done. I've got places to go and things to do. I... Why me, God? Why me? Well, why not me? We all have people in our lives who are hurting or sick or dying. We can make a difference. And I think it's important that we do make a difference. Henry Norwin said this, to embrace littleness, hiddenness, and powerlessness. Who wants to embrace that? Littleness, hiddenness, and powerlessness. That's what we all fight against. I want to be somebody. Beth said, well, she's not famous. I'm not famous. Only to my grandchildren. I hope. Nana. Music. I love my kids, too. I was given a hard time. Well, you know you have kids. I have kids, yeah, but I got grandkids. That's the reason you don't kill your kids. (laughs) That's not original with me. But frankly, I would rather embrace other things. I really would. It's hard to be hidden and not noticed. By the way, I want to thank Beth publicly. It's a fabulous conference to have ladies here and the things that go on behind the scenes. You need to thank her. It's a lot of work. And powerlessness. Who wants to be powerless? Not me. We want to have power. But that's what God calls us to. He must increase and I must decrease. If my inner world is in order, it will be because I have made a daily determination to see time as God's gift and worthy of careful investment. I don't know how I got this old so fast. 
I don't. Do you guys? Anybody over 50 here? Do you feel like, whoa, what happened? Who, who did this to me? I look in the mirror and think, oh, is that my mother? <laughs> Except now I can't even recognize myself, so. Did you ever say, where did the time go? Almost every day. Like we didn't, I didn't get my list of things done. Disorganized people have lost control of their time. That's a convicting statement for me, so let's move on. Here, <laughs> Symptoms of disorganization would be like your desktop, your bureaus, your self-esteem, things like that that really bother you. And many times I tend to invest myself, my energies, in unproductive tasks. I need to live much more purposeful. And I need to learn to enjoy intimacy with God. Sometimes it's hard to sit before the Lord's feet. You know Mary and Martha? I could be Mary. Seldom. <laughs> I, I feel better being Martha because I'm more comfortable doing something than I am sitting still. But we need to learn to enjoy him and build a relationship with him. We need to learn to budget our time. Fixed time is what we must do. Discretionary time is what we'd like to do, but how many of us switch that around? And we, have, we, we struggle at the end of the day to do the things that should have happened at the beginning of the day. I'll have my quiet time later because I'm really busy right now and I haven't had... You know, who is the Lord of our time? How would Jesus have handled life if he lived today? You ever think about that? What would he do? Would he get on a plane? Would he get on a subway? Would he run? He never hurried. You never hear in the scripture that Jesus ran anywhere. He walked. And he had time for people all along the way. He never had to play catch up. Because you know why? He said, I've come to do the things that my father has asked me to do. We have that same father. So why do we fight and struggle so much? Because we want to be in control of our time. He was never taken by surprise. And I thought, well, that's pretty simple. He's God. He knows everything that's going to happen, right? If I had that kind of wisdom, I'd know everything that was going to happen, and I wouldn't be taken by surprise. But I still am taken by surprise. He always managed adequate time for prayer and meditation. That is an amazing thought. Meditate on that for a little while. Why did God himself have to pray to God and meditate if he already knew everything? Because he needed to commune with his Father. He was separated by his human body from his heavenly Father. And if, I know you've heard it a hundred times, if God and Jesus had to commune, if Jesus had to spend time with God, what makes me think, I don't need to? Why do I feel that way sometimes? Jesus understood his mission. What is your mission? God has given every one of us a job to do. What is it? Have you defined what your mission is in life? Are you the mom of little kids, little children, and you feel like that you're stuck or stranded? That's your mission. Do you have a husband 
That's your mission. Do you have a job? Do you go to a church? Do you have siblings? You have a mission. Let it rain, Lord. We're inside, huh? (laughs) We have a mission. So I would like you to define your mission. And it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 86. You define the mission that God has for you. And then when extra stuff comes into your life, you can define for yourself if it fits your mission. And you can decide to say yes or understand to say no. Jesus understood his own limits. Do you understand your limits? Sometimes we get way out of proportion to where we're supposed to be. Time must be properly budgeted for the gathering of our inner strength in order to compensate for our weakness when spiritual warfare begins. Ladies, I've never been in such a time as this when there's so much spiritual warfare, ever. I think Satan knows that his days are numbered and he's he's gathering his troops and bringing on the attacks. Jesus took time aside to train how many disciples? Twelve. Twelve. Wouldn't you think he'd take more than that because it was a big job to do? And yet look what was accomplished by those 12 disciples. There are fellow believers, fellow sisters in Christ all over the world. I can't tell you the joy that I get going to a church in a foreign country and hear them sing and read the scripture and pray. And I think, these are my siblings. They're, it's wonderful. Sometimes I don't know the language, but I know the song that they're singing. I hear them pray in another language, and I think, wow, when we get to heaven, we'll all do English. (laughs) 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 And then they talk, and you don't know if they're talking. You think they're talking about you because you can't understand their language, Bob. We need to learn how to recapture our time. We need to seal the time leaks that we let out and allocate productive hours. Can we do that? Can you give up something that takes your time, that shouldn't take your time? Because unmanaged time flows towards my weakness. Did you know that? Your unmanaged time flows towards your weakness. We can invest large amounts of time of doing something that we're not very good at. Unmanaged time comes under the influence of dominant people in my world. How oh, well, that is so true. We are at the mercy of anyone who has a notion to visit or interrupt. Unmanaged time surrenders to the demands of all emergencies. We are governed by the tyranny of the urgent. Charles Swindoll, I think it was Charles Swindoll, one of the books I was reading said that... Um, one of a, women, a woman that had come to his church called him on a Saturday morning and said, Oh, Pastor, we have to get together. We have to get together right now. My marriage is falling apart. I have to meet with you right now. And he said to her, Well, um, how long has this been going on? Oh, five years. Mm. Okay. Well, then you know what? Let's set up a time to meet on Monday. Oh, all right. But that's what happens. And if any of you are pastor's wives, you kind of understand the tyranny of that statement. When there's a crisis, it's immediate. And you have to meet now. 
And the problem is, most of the time, people have waited till, the, till it's really too late, and they just use you as a blame game to get the other person to get their act together. But it's a choice that we have to make. Unmanaged time gets invested in things that gain public acclamation. Well, I don't want to clean the church. I don't want to do toilets. I want to, like, lead singing. Oh, okay. You, can you sing? Well, no, but just make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? <laughs> we must know that our, our personal rhythms, too, for maximum effectiveness. I'm not a bright and sunny, happy, early morning person. Do I have any sisters out there? No? Yes. Oh, good. We have some people who like to be happy in the morning. Don't come to my house <laughs> till after I've had my coffee. I must have a thoughtful criteria for choosing how to use my time. All of this, girls, is just to help us to organize our time. I think we've let it fly out, and we have tried to take on so many things. You know, the world has told us that we can do a lot more things, but it ends up draining us, and we need to slow down and live purposely. If you had a month left to live, how would you live? Who would you spend time with? What would become more important to you? It's not things, because you're going to lose them. But the people in your life and the relationships that you have, that is what is most important. I also would like to encourage you to manage your time and budget it. The books that I were reading said that you need to budget eight weeks out. Eight weeks. I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> but that's when other people come and control your time. And it can't happen unless we have a strong mental endurance to make it happen. We have to do it. If our inner world is in order, it will be because we have determined that every day will be a day of growth, of knowledge and wisdom. The only place I can get knowledge and wisdom is from this book. When he says in Lamentations... They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. When God tells you that his mercies are new every morning, it doesn't get any better than that. Because I fail often. And I don't want to be a failure. I want to do the things in my life that are important to God. And if they're important to God, he takes care of everything else. My family, my husband, my relationships, the church, jobs, Everything. Because I think so many times we just we put the mask on and live our life, but inside there's a hollowness because we haven't done the things that God has called us to do. And we just keep on pushing. If we get busier and busier, it covers up all the noise and the clatter that's going on. We need, we need to be mindful people, not mindless but mindfulness is a matter of discipline and hard work. Mindlessness is the results of laziness and fear. How many of us like to do mindless things? After a stressful day, sometimes I just want to sit down and like watch the news. I don't want to think about anything. I don't want to answer the phone. I don't want to talk to people. I just want to be mindless. But unfortunately, it says here that it's the results of laziness and fear that I don't want to deal with some of the issues that are going on. 
That was a conviction for me. Remember, some of the older people here might remember the incident with Jim Jones in 1978 in Guyana. What do you suppose those people that followed him were mindless? They believed what he told them. And then they drank the Kool-Aid and they all died. Because he had this great cause. You know, we are not to be mindless people. You know, people criticize Christians because you follow Christ. That's okay. I don't mind at all. Because I know the end. I know the whole, I know the whole book. And I know who's victorious. And I know people understand that. And that's okay too. Many are struggling because we were fast starters. And now we're exhausted, mentally empty. And we've stopped growing. And we spend our lives in little more than amusement. I don't want to be that. I don't want to just be amused, to be functioning without thought. I want my mind to be pushed and filled and stretched and forced in order to function. I want to grow. I don't want somebody else to spoon-feed me. You know, there's been a lot of stories about churches and the pastors in the churches and some of the things that they do. How do you know if it's truth or not? Be a Berean. Study God's Word. If what that pastor is saying doesn't stand up to this, then you're in the wrong church. This is the only truth you need. This is it. And you need to know what it says, or you won't be able to decipher who's right and who's wrong. There's a lot of great churches out there. If you're in a good church, I beg you to work hard, to get going, get plugged in, help. Because we need to build a strong force of people, believers that love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what's coming down the pike. I sure hope the Lord comes back. But if he doesn't, I have a feeling that we are in for some hard times, economically, spiritually, physically. I'm not a prophet, but signs are pointing that way. Our minds must be trained to think, to analyze, and to innovate. Remember Romans 12, too? What's it say? Yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> Renewing your mind. And how do we do that? Only by spending time with Christ. Remember Esther? For such a time as this. I was going to look up scripture, but we're really kind of stretched for time. Esther had to work very hard out of her comfort zone. I mean, she probably knew what happened to her predecessor. (laughs) She got kicked out. And here she is having to go before the king, who has already signed an edict to destroy all of her people. And she had to take a stand. She did. And it changed the world. Christians ought to be the strongest, broadest, most creative thinkers in the world. You know why? Paul said, we have been given the mind of Christ. So there is no limit to how your mind can work. 
It kind of just kind of blows my mind when I think I've been given the mind of Christ. The same spirit that is in Christ, was in, it is in Christ, is in me. I have that exact same power. And I'm afraid I don't utilize it the way it ought to be used. So if you have the mind of Christ, it gives you potential that, that the unregenerate mind doesn't possess. You have a creative mind. You need to use it. We have an eternal, timeless perspective in which to think. We can think outside of the box. Has anybody read the book by Randy Alcorn called um, Heaven? It's about seven or 800 pages thick. We were on a sabbatical after one of the crises that we had in our church, and the elders gave us three months off. <clears throat> which was good because I I needed it, and so did my husband. But I read the book, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn. I would encourage you to get it and read it. It it created a whole new avenue in my mind for what heaven was going to be like. And it just gave me a whole new appreciation and a longing for home that I've never had before. And I have loved ones in heaven, so I'm kind of anxious to see them too. But I have a... Uh, My feet are planted on earth. I have a lot of things here that are important to me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, which is the intellectual nature, with all thine heart, which is the emotional nature, with all thy soul, which is the willing nature, and with all thy strength, which is the physical nature. So if we do that, we are loving the Lord. Where are all the Christians with minds sharp enough to confront a culture that steadily drifts away from God? You know, the church used to be a high standard. And instead of staying a high standard as the world drops, the church drops. And we've lost our standard bearers. And I know sometimes we get called funny things. We're not progressive or we're old-fashioned. and It's okay. If you're standing on the word of God, it's okay. We learn, must learn to take the muscles of our minds and work them into shape. <laughs> Physical exercise is fun, right? But mind exercise is even better. Become a thinker and grapple with some ideas. Learn to make independent judgments. These are all important things. But we need to be working from the inside out, as I said before, not the outside in. It's so important that we make the changes that are necessary. Psalms 19.1, and I think I'll end with this. Let me look it up. You're all in the dark, but that's okay. I'll read it to you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So we must be taught to learn and appreciate all the things that God has done. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's a marvelous thing. 
A carpenter works with wood, and we can learn to appreciate that. A physician works with the body, and there are intricate things that he has to learn to do. A musician works with sounds. Executives work with people. Educators train students. Researchers analyze. These are all things that God has placed and planned for us to do. So our mind must be trained to pursue information and insights for the purpose of serving people in our private and public worlds. C.S. Lewis says, Mind development makes us able to serve people in which, to which we live. We are, have to be willing to serve. And, you know, the students here at the Bible school have been great servants. The men in the dining room were serving with joy. The gals have been here serving. It's been a sweet thing. And that's part of our training. We all need to come here as students, right? <laughs> Learn how to serve. So it's important that we grow and we learn and spend time before the Lord. And we need to learn how to be quiet. You know that song, I Come to the Garden Alone? Would you sing it with me? I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear Falling on my ear The Son of God
to spend time with us. He walks with me, talks with me, tells me that I'm his own. There's nothing like being loved by the creator of the universe. What are we waiting for? We've got a date. Let's get ourselves ready. So I challenge you. I pray that um, God spoke to you. Because he wants to spend time with you. He loves you more than anything. And he wants to spend time with you. So ladies, do it. Be a vessel, a beacon of light in your own home. I don't care if you're alone or if you're surrounded by 20 kids, (laughs) grandkids, cranky old men. Fox News, sports, cranky congregations. Maybe you are the cranky (laughs) go. Thank you, ladies, for being a part of my life. And you made me work hard. You made God convict me. But I thank you for it. Thank you for the opportunity, Beth. And I would love to hear great exports of what God has done in and for you as you go forth and do what God has called you to do. Live for him because he died for you.